The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, emerging perspectives on people, process, and profits. Your host is Olivia Parr-Rood. In today's fast-paced, high-tech global economy, the business landscape is constantly evolving. To be successful, companies must continually adapt as well as identify and exploit new opportunities. Now, here is the host of Quantum Business Insights, Olivia Parr-Rood. Hi, Olivia here. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, where each week we explore new perspectives on the changing nature of business with thought leaders from around the world, and with a special emphasis on what I feel is our most valuable asset, our human capital. Today, I'm very excited to have as my guest, Eleni Pallas, and we'll be discussing disruptive leadership. Before we get started, let me tell you a little bit about Eleni. She is co-founder of Leaders for Good, a design boutique that empowers leaders to solve today's organizational and societal challenges by humanizing the world. Her executive coaching programs revolve around the how of leading, focusing specifically on leadership ecology, designing internal and external ecosystems needed to lead successfully over time across varying contexts. She's especially skilled at helping leaders remain confident and stable during self-growth or tumultuous transitions, such as mergers and acquisitions, business model changes, economic shifts, which appear to be constant these days, as well as transforming global, diverse, divisive teams into cohesive, game-changing pods. Some of her clients include Cartier, UC Berkeley, San Francisco University, as well as social entrepreneurial ventures. Her first 20 years were spent in mobile communications, developing banking and strategy consulting industries, working with firms such as Orange Business Services, the World Bank, Deloitte, Booz Allen, and Fairchild Space Company. She spent most of her time in global strategy and business development roles, most recently leading partnership and acquisition projects and emerging markets. She has an MBA from George Washington University and a BS in finance, marketing, and economics from the University of Maryland at College Park. So, Eleni, welcome to Quantum Business Insights. Thank you, Olivia. Thank you very much. My pleasure. So what I love about your work is how you have brought your real-world experience in global strategy and business development into your passion for humanizing the world by empowering leaders to solve today's organizational and societal challenges. And this really feels like a quantum shift. So what quantum business insight do you have to share with us today? Mm, Great question. (laughs) Big question. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what I noticed in the last 25 years, um, working around the world in different business contexts that had different tax 
laws, different employment, you know, labor law, different, different political environments. What I noticed is that um, everyone needs to become a leader. So everyone needs to become self-directed. So we can't depend on the hierarchical leaders of, you know, the government leaders or organizational leaders anymore. We each start, have to kind of be self-directed. And the other thing that I noticed is if leaders want to make a real impact in the world, leaders must disrupt the way they lead to get good results. So it's like I noticed um, patterns across all the countries and all the projects I worked on, and it was the same organizational difficulties in communicating or focusing or uh, resolving conflict or being creative, the same things over and over. And I concluded these two things. We each need to be the leader. And then secondly, we need to disrupt the way we lead. So it's going to be a new type of leadership. So you're saying people, anyone can lead and the way to do it is by disrupting. It's kind of exactly. what you're Exactly. That's so true. why disrupting, you might ask, right? I mean, it's like, the disruption comes in the form of, okay, today we talk about disruptive ideas, disruptive innovation, disruptive change, especially here, you know, in the, in the West Coast, in the Silicon Valley area. Mm-hmm. And that means, meaning really think out of the box, how are we going to do something differently? And a lot of companies or people and companies notice that across companies, small companies, large, local, global, we see the same organizational problems, Mm. okay? And we wonder why. And the actual, the reason why is because we use specific leadership skills or styles that are rooted in the industrial model mm-hmm. when we're actually in, in the information age or in another age, you know, we've, we've theoretically transcended the industrial model, right. but because our skills are rooted in that and our assumptions are rooted in that model, we don't really create profound change. We create a top-level change. It looks like it's different, but when in the end, everything's still the same. Hmm. Yeah. Can you, can you share maybe an example, and you don't need to name names, but maybe, you know, a financial institution or places where you saw them having a hard time with this and then maybe some that do it better? Okay, sure. Um, uh, let's think of an example in the Silicon Valley. So everyone who's listening to this and, and you and I, we can imagine our own uh, experience, okay? So think of a company that was founded by young entrepreneurs who wanted to be bold and wanted to change the world. Mm. And they created, you know, really fun um, team cultures and they maybe added free food and really fun equipment or, you know, um, environments, you know, like office environments. Mm -hmm. But then five or 10 years later, these entrepreneurial organizations have the same um, competitive environments, stress, um, fear of failure, mm. and inability to respond to the constant changes in the world um, in the same way that older companies or companies that they wanted to, um, you know, change from, like they were trying to create different types of companies, 
And they ended up creating the same thing. And so it's and, just a matter of growth that causes Yeah, well, it's this? a matter of growth. It's actually a matter of what they assume. Mm. That's what's the fascinating thing. Because let's say, for example, would you think that you assume that um, people are motivated externally by power or prestige or money? Might, might you think that you personally assume that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Because that has been the modest operandi. That's the way we all have been socialized to think from young children. We we seek our parents, you know, love. And then at school, we seek good grades and university, good grades. At work, good promotions, good job titles, etc. So it's, it's an assumption that people are motivated by external factors. When in fact, that's not true. We are motivated by what are called basic human needs, which were devised all the way back 2,500 years ago by Aristotle, but more recently by Maslow. You know, have mm-hmm. you heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So, that's, you know, he was the first to say, hey, what makes a healthy person who's happy and engaged and loves life, what makes them tick? Mm. And he noticed there are universal basic human needs that everyone seeks to fill. And because most people have been socialized to seek external validation, they, they don't build the internal um, bases from which to fill those needs, and they look outside. For example, money represents success in our society. It represents freedom. It represents even rebellion, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, the people at WhatsApp, they sold their app for I don't know how many billions after just a few years, making something quite, quite simple, but it works and it fills a need well. And so money has become a representation of an internal need that is significance. I need to feel important. Another need is I need to feel certain. So money fills those needs and then it looks like we are getting filled by the money, but we're actually getting filled by what the money represents. Yeah, and isn't there a a lot of research that shows that people work up to a point for money, but then after that, when their basic needs are met, what motivates them is all those other things, being valued, being heard, um, feeling like they're part of a team, things like that. Exactly, exactly. So this research shows, kind of proves that, yes, money helps to a certain level because we all need to live and we all need to have enough money to cover what we need. So that Mm -hmm. makes sense. But then, you know, money for the sake of money, like having 30, like companies, some companies have $30 billion in the bank. Yeah. And it's like they don't hire people. They don't, it's like this huge, you know, jobless economy, job, you know, we have economic growth without jobs. So jobless economic growth because companies, you know, making money, but how much is enough? Right. And so it's, it's an, it's amazing that, you know, this is an assumption that we've had, but we may, we may not have realized it, that it's not actually true. Well, and in some of your writing, you say that 
that we treat each other a lot of times as objects without probably even realizing it. Yes. Um, what are some of the ways you see that? And is it true globally or just in certain areas? Good question. It's true globally. Mm-hmm. And that's what the most amazing thing. You'd think people from different ethnicities are socialized differently. It looks like we are. Mm-hmm. But the industrial, like the business model that, that was based on the industrial revolution kind of seeped through a lot of economies around the world as we became globalized. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we see people as objects. For example, um, it's, it's commonly known that people seek each other depending on their positions within a company or within their contacts or um, according to successes they might have because they want to access someone who actually has achieved that. Mm. Okay? So if, if, if you find out, for example, LinkedIn, you go to LinkedIn and you see somebody's title and you're like, okay, I want to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you look down and you're like, oh, it wasn't updated. They actually, you know, got fired from that job or got <laughs> laid off or decided to quit. Oh, I don't want to talk to them anymore. Right. That changes the way I see that person. And that's an example of how someone might see someone else as an object. Like if you fill a specific need, if you do what's expected. hmm We'll keep you in the company. If not, we'll replace you. And we'll get another person who is going to have a chance, so to speak, to do what's expected. And so we kind of like, we, we treat people as like one in the other. It's like one is just as good as the other as long as they give us what we need. Right. Well, it's okay. in. Oh, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I was going to give you another example. Yeah. Have you ever noticed in a company... Where, let's say, let's pretend we're in the, um, you know, engineering department and we need support from people in the finance department. Right. We have specific contacts there and we're like, okay, could you help us with some data regarding, you know, the financial outlook so we can put it in our, you know, business models or something like that. And then people, you know, our contacts don't respond to us. And then we're like, okay, well, we call again. And then then they say, yes, I'll get to you tomorrow. And then we'll say, okay, I'm going to escalate. I'm going to call their boss. Mm -hmm. Or I'm going to call someone else I know. I actually have another friend in the finance department. And so we kind of... We kind of like revolve. The people don't matter. Yeah. Like those people who didn't have time or for whatever reason didn't respond to us, we don't care. We care about getting what we need and the people are incident, <laughs> incidental. Interesting. Yeah. And that's how it's become. And that's how we've ended up seeing even ourselves and each other as objects without even realizing it. Well, it's so fascinating you say that because a friend of mine, he was actually a guest on the show, Ross Hossetter, his daughter, I'm going to have her on a show with some other young people because she's in a big corporate setting, works for MSNBC uh, in marketing. And she was sharing how it felt like she wasn't seen or valued just because she's young. 
And yes. so I'm just curious if that's something you've also seen in companies just based on people's age or oh, other absolutely. things. absolutely. Or if absolutely. they're female. <laughs> absolutely. All of those. Right. Because another assumption, it's like these assumptions that we're talking about are, are, are within a, an industrial model, okay? Right. And the industrial model assumes like uh, people are objects, so that means they are like machines, let's say. Another is that people are, you know, extrinsically motivated by power of money. And another is human capital is a commodity. Mm-hmm. So we can do, that's why layoffs work in this model, because we get rid of 20% of the workforce and we do, do just as well or better. And then when we need others, we get others. Well, and we don't notice, like, did those people, specific people have skills or insight or or knowledge that we need we have no idea well and i wonder if that's working uh less and less these days because back when we were a manufacturing economy you could move people around there wasn't a high level of skill but now there is and i think companies are starting to shy away from laying off people and I know it does make profits in the short term, but I think companies are starting to actually take a longer term view and, and even telling their stockholders, this is what we're going to do, because it, it can be really costly to lay people off who have skills they may not even be aware of. Does that yes. make sense? Yes. And I'm glad to hear some people in companies are shying away from layoffs because not only it hurts the morale of the people who stay, stay there, mm-hmm. but it just, you know, it's, a, it's, it's impossible to assess what damage that does to a company because now most of the companies are made of t- intangible assets. Us humans. Yes. Our ideas, the value we create through collaboration. Mm-hmm. So another getting back to the young people and people without, especially uh, people without a lot of business experience, like getting out of college, that's another sticky point because the education system is also crumbling. Mm-hmm. Some people are not going to go get educated, not only because of the cost, but because they feel like they're not really getting updated information that's useful to them, okay? Yeah, that's based so, on the manufacturing model as exactly, well. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And then the hierarchical model, right, that only elders or people, you know, who are, you know, have, have a lot of experience are knowledgeable. Of course, they have knowledge, but everyone has knowledge, you know? You can right. pick up knowledge through your intuition. You don't need to have had life experience necessarily. Right. So right. companies until now, usually look at GPAs or schools to pick their talent, their young talent, right? Mm -hmm. And as those fade, you know, like people are not going to go to those schools or they're not going to, you know, they're not going to have degrees, but still they're smart and capable. How are companies going to choose them? How are companies going to assess who is capable, who is skilled, who is talented? We need new ways. Yeah. And so... Yeah. Well, so, we're almost up on a break, but finish your thought. Okay. And then we yeah, can... so basically it's we have to shift the way we look at people, mm-hmm. elders, young, in order to get the best of their capacity, but also give them an engaging environment that's, that's exciting to work in. 
Well, that really makes sense, and it's kind of what I care about, right? The yes. human capital. Yes. So um, we do need to go to break. Okay. Uh, my guest is Eleni and uh, Palace, and we are talking about disruptive leadership. You can go to her website, Leaders Who Are Good, and there's dashes in between dot um, com, and uh, we'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support. You. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, Olivia here, and I'm with my guest, Eleni Pallas, and we're talking about disruptive leadership. And before the break, Eleni said that we really have to all think like leaders because um, things are just not working in the old kind of hierarchical model. So I really liked that, and that people have that people have been trained to work for sort of external reasons and, and are not feeling satisfied and the, that we need to really value people for um, what they bring and, and that people don't necessarily work for money after a certain point. They really work to be valued and be part of something and um, give their gifts. So it was, it was really enlightening. And um, I'd like to talk a little bit about you call you talk about human centric leading. So we've probably touched on some of that, but um, 
How do you think it's different than, say, resonant leading or authentic leading or other kind of current approaches to this? Yeah, yeah, really good question. We have to talk about distinctions, right? So now there's so many leadership models out there. We're wondering how are they different? Yeah. And human-centric leading is a um, uh, based on new assumptions, Okay, Mm -hmm. so a resonant leading and authentic leading and North Point, like all other types of leading are touching either relationships. They're really talking about how to improve emotional intelligence skills in relating with people. Okay, and so um, that's because that is a very important point. And it's and we're coming to that because in the old model, the industrial model, logic is the only respected way to think and solve problems, right? Right. And so we've noticed, like, why is there an increase in frustration, depression, anxiety, worry? Well, one of the reasons is because we're not allowed to express our emotions at work. We were supposed to leave our emotions at home and at work. We're logical and we're cogent and everything works smoothly like Mm. machines, right? Right, right? But we're realizing we're human and our intelligence are varied, okay? Mm-hmm. And our emotions are a big part of being intelligent, being creative, being able to deal with other people. And so all the other models are bringing in the emotional quotient. Right. Now, they, they don't, they kind of don't touch assumptions. Mm. So the assumptions we have are in our non-conscious, let's say our belly, you know, like right. what, what happens uh, na- naturally by habit, right? Mm-hmm. How do we think by habit? How do we feel by habit or respond by habit? Mm-hmm. And so we don't see them, right? We don't notice them through our conscious minds. And so most people assume that whatever we have in our subconscious is okay and it's not really affecting our conscious behavior, but it's not the case. Our subconscious has, you know, 95% of what we think and feel stored there just for effectiveness sake. (laughs) Because imagine if you and I had to remember to blink every hundredth of a second. I mean, we we would really have problems, right? Because that's a lot of work, right? So So, to some extent it serves us, but I guess in other ways it may not. Exactly. So it serves us because it makes us more effective and it makes us be able to, you know, deal with a lot of data, like the things we see and sense and hear and smell, Mm -hmm. but then it sifts it so that it's enough that for the conscious mind to, to adjust to and and use. And we have filters, right? And And we have filters. Exactly. So those filters are actually from the industrial age. And then if we want, and then the reason why we know this is because of the companies we talked about before that try to be different. They do a lot of things. They they use a lot of new behaviors. Mm -hmm. But then in the end, they come out with the same outcomes they were trying to transform altogether. Well, is it possible that it's the, um, the system that drives some of it? Or? Absolutely. Okay. The entire system is based on these assumptions. Oh, I got you. Okay. You see? So if we're using specific assumptions and don't, don't notice or don't spend the time to uproot them because they've mm-hmm. been working well, 
then we don't uproot them. But we uproot assumptions when things don't work well. For example, if I want to lose 10 pounds and I'm noticing I try this, I try that, nothing works. Well, I need to then go back to assumptions and see what am I actually assuming about losing weight? What am I assuming about not being allowed to eat sugar? Whatever, you know, I may be doing. I do have assumptions, but I just don't know what they are. Right. And if they and if I'm not getting the results I want, the results I'm going after through the conscious mind and conscious effort, it means there are some subconscious assumptions or frames that are, you know, that have other agendas. So the subconscious mind is stronger, it's bigger, it's 95% of the thinking, so it's it has more power. Mm. And so it's usually the the subconscious habits will be the ones that are actually, you know, happening. And it sounds does that like make sense? it it does and it sounds like I mean I know this the system is made up of people but it's almost like the system has a subconscious that you know people could be brought in and out and I know be I know. part of that so when you spoke about these young small companies that were trying to do things differently then they have to kind of plug into the economic and the financial and the global systems and that's when they start to have to take on the old behaviors. Well, firstly, they have to be a conscious of them. Yeah. When people are aware of the industrial assumptions, the human-centric assumptions, then they can be like, oh, this is what I keep reverting to. I could use a new assumption, which would create a great outcome. For example, if I'm assuming that... You know, people are motivated by these internal basic needs. I will, I will work with them to be motivated, creative, happy at work through those. So I'll mm. ask them, what do you need to be happy? Instead of throw money at someone or another benefit, there's an, there's an interaction. And then that interaction feels good to everyone. And it's like, ooh, somebody asked me what I need. Yeah. I feel good. <laughs> it's like we I'm all have this need right. to feel seen. And, um, exactly. So, so are you saying that rather than assuming they want more money to be happy, you actually ask people? Exactly. <laughs> it's so simple. I know. It's so simple. But we've, we've gotten so far away from it through standards and efficiency and mm-hmm. mechanistic thinking that we, we forget that we're people, we're human. Mm. And it's kind of funny that we humans, if we, if we imagine aliens looking at us saying, seeing humans talk about human rights, talk about human-centric leading, I mean, aren't we human? Yeah. But we've kind of forgotten because we had a mechanistic view of ourselves. Like we are determined by genes and therefore we just live out our genetic predisposition. We have no power. Right. And in fact, that's been proven untrue. There are people all over the world who heal themselves through different, you know, way of thinking and eating and, and, you know, relating to people. And I, so I'd imagine working or being in an organization where this, these assumptions are being revealed and maybe people are being asked what will make them happy and what do they need to do their work and all these things, that it's going to have a spillover effect to their families and their communities. Absolutely. 
that's how this is a, a fantastic model because we start with ourselves mm. and in every interaction when we're behaving um, in a way that nurtures the human experience and the human potential, we create a wonderful experience. And that, you know, multiplies easily because it's wonderful to feel good. It's wonderful to be asked, what, do, what does one need? And that, and that allows for more openness, more trust. And that's where then the creativity comes in. Right. When you feel like, yeah, I, I don't have to worry about being fired. I don't have to worry about being laid off. I don't have to be worried about being criticized. Mm-hmm. I can experiment. I can try new things. I can learn and be daring and create something fantastic mm-hmm. when if I were scared, I wouldn't be able to do that. Well, that makes so much sense. And what I kind of like about all this, because I think this is a way through business to maybe make the population as a whole um, better off. Uh, so what I see Absolutely. is that, yeah, a lot of the linear processes that used to be done by humans are being automated or outsourced. And really, a lot of companies are on the same playing field as far as process and data, if they've got money. Um, and the way that they have to compete is through innovation exactly and and i would argue that that's not something that one person can do that it really takes kind of this group energy and you know a real kind of focus for the company and 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 lots of things that really includes empowering people so exactly (laughs) i agree i would say that it's the culture that allows innovation to flourish, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not a process. It's a cr- Creativity is, you know, nonlinear. It's something that happens at all times and in different ways. And, it, and if a, it, you know, now that companies are noticing that, wow, it's their people yeah. who are their, their strategic asset, yes. well, then they need to change the way they behave, but also change their assumptions so that their behavior lasts long. Yeah. Well, so let me ask you, have you been, say, has a company approached you and said, yeah, we want to get better at doing this kind of human-centric leadership, and then you get in there and there's resistance from some people because they just can't change or they're just afraid of it or too used to being uh, fear-based managements or something like that. Have you ever had that experience? Okay, I'll, I'll give you two experiences, two cases, let's say. Okay. One company where we go in and we, you know, everyone agrees that we should transform the culture, <laughs> but some executives aren't exactly in full agreement. Right. And so people at all levels within the organization feel fantastic, feel uh, empowered, feel happy. The stress levels go down. Mm. Illnesses and sick leave go down. Creativity and problem solving go up. Conflict go down. But then when there's something that's tough, like a loss of a big client or but usually something financial, at least in, in my cases, mm-hmm. then the directive hammer hang goes down yeah. and breaks that cultural div- shift. 
Oh, how sad. <laughs> I know. It is so sad because it takes time for people to trust their executives again. Yes. You know? And each other. Yeah. And each other. Oh, and then when goodness. they say, wow, just when I was opening up, mm. I was blamed for something that's not even my fault because someone was stressed out and they reacted in a directive way with blaming or criticism or saying, just fix it without mm. a discussion. Wow. So that's where that's one model that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And so although people at all levels, you can talk to the youngest and least experienced to the oldest and most experienced, it has nothing to do with age. It has to do with their ability to, you know, um, dare, right? Mm-hmm. It's not their ability to do it, to be human centric. It's their ability to dare that. Will it be okay? Will it be safe? to share my, you know, hopes and dreams and needs and mm-hmm. will I be respected? Yeah. So that is that is the, where, where the rubbing point is. And so it's important then for everyone within an organization not to be perfect and never go back to old habits, mm-hmm. but then say, oops, I did this, sorry. Okay, let, let, me, ret- let me restart again. Okay, so it's not to say that no one's going to make a slip up, but when uh, someone in a a high uh, position uh, within an organization that was previously hierarchical, when they go back to an old habit without saying, oops, I noticed I did something, you know, an old behavior, I want to come back to a new one, when that doesn't happen, then trust uh, falls away again. Right. So I hear a lot today, and we're just about up on a break, but I've been hearing a lot about vulnerable leadership and how important that is. So that sounds like what you're saying is that for people to really trust their leaders, they have to see their leaders admitting their own mistakes and being human as well. Exactly. Exactly. So that's. it sounds like that's what you mean by human-centric leading is that we're humans first and maybe yes yes um, and why not be vulnerable well what would happen right well yeah Uh, and I I think people that were raised or or somehow got to where they needed a high degree of control to feel safe they have a hard time being vulnerable yeah and you know I imagine that that takes a lot to change so why don't we go to break? Because when we come back, I'd like to hear maybe how you work with clients, with okay. your coaching and, and things like that. So okay. um, so my guest again is Eleni Palace, and we're talking about disruptive leadership and human-centric leadership. And you can learn more about Eleni at her website, leaderforgood.com, with dashes in between the words. And we'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Engage with Andy Bush takes you inside the mind of a top global market and public policy analyst who has been featured regularly on CNBC, Yahoo Finance, and numerous radio and television programs. Our program will bring you guests and stories from the top of the political and business worlds. Each show includes Andy's point of view roundup and what it means for you at home. Life's complicated. Let Andy help you figure it out. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Think of the world 50 years ago. 
Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rudd. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, Olivia here. I'm back with my guest, Eleni Palace, and we're talking about disruptive leadership and human-centric leadership and the way we need to think about leadership really to be successful in the future, that we're, we're really done with the manufacturing model and we're now in much more of a co-creative world where innovation is key and that really comes from empowering people having them feel good when they show up giving their all and leaders valuing the people that work for them and so right before the break we were talking about how some leaders who maybe for years were very fear-based or had a high need for control um, are, are just not able to be very successful anymore and I was wondering if you've worked with companies where you maybe even had to do some coaching or, or what that what would be your approach in that case? Yeah, definitely. That's a, that's a good distinction because, you know, some is let's learn these new assumptions, okay, which have been proven by science, empirical evidence, and ancient wisdom, the, you know, the assumptions of the human-centric model. And then there's a piece of, okay, I agree to learn them. I've learned them intellectually, but then how do I act on them? Okay. Right. So, for example, if um, you know I'm used to the scarcity model of the industrial, the scarcity perspective of the industrial model. There's never enough. We have to compete for the resources. There are scarce resources. That's a way of thinking. That's a way of being. Mm-hmm. And so you may even accept that everyone is motivated internally and that they're conscious beings and not machines, but then that fear is all still, still inside you that you have to compete to get something or else you're going to be the odd man out. So people who notice that they can integrate some of the assumptions but not others, they need coaching mm-hmm. and they need some extra kind of support. So what we do is we have programs that are like you know over time so we meet with companies every month and there's a new workshop and there's a new space to discuss a new topic and discuss ways to implement it and practice within the workshop 
And then people go ahead and then practice with their co- colleagues and clients and coworkers. And then they come back the next month and talk again, what happened, what were the obstacles. And some people get, you know, kind of more private coaching and other, others, the coaching uh, occurs within the group environment. And that way, companies can get broader groups of people involved. So it's not one by one by one. So people are also then helping each other. And this becomes a part of the organizational's culture instead of something that they go somewhere else to learn and then bring it back. It actually, it's, it's in, it becomes a part of the company that stays with a company. And so that's, you know, the approach that's important in my mind is number one, being regular and consistent for a period of time. And then secondly, that it's not only mental, but it's emotional. So there needs to be emotional experiences or, 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 you know, kind of exercises that integrate the thinking and the feeling, even as well with the intuitive thinking, so that when these are aligned, the learning is solid. And then, you know, after practice, it goes into the subconscious and then it's natural. So is this process something, like what's the average time that it takes to enter an organization and maybe have long-lasting change that you feel like you're finished? Well, that depends on the size of the company and kind of the level of entrenchment in an industrial model. So we look at companies as, as in a customized way. We, we, ha- we don't have anything standard, so to speak, because we go and see what is the situation at hand, what about the people, how do they feel, what are their obstacles, what state of affairs are they strategically, you know, within the economy as well. And then we customize, but it's at, at minimum six months. Minimum six months. So six months, people start to feel really good. And they have a handle on how to respond to conflict or even respond to someone who blames them. You know, they Mm. don't get triggered and they're able to be calm and say, okay, well, what, what, what did you need? Like reframe, they'll reframe, they'll be able to reframe a discussion instead of react to it. Oh, that's so great. It's, it's minimum six months and it's an ongoing process. As we were socialized with the other, you know, assumptions, we need to relearn and repractice these new ones in various contexts. So if I work, for example, in a company in Paris and now I have to go to Shanghai, well, that's an entirely new context, not only ethnically, but po- politics wise, business, tax, you know, everything. So in different contexts, we, we retest our skills and it helps us become more effective and we need to keep developing as we go. Well, as you were saying that, I thought, wouldn't it be great if they taught these skills in school? Oh, yes. <laughs> so let's, you would... let's hope for that. That's yeah. where a lot of people in the emotional intelligence world are trying to help, you know, people in schools, even from kindergarten age. That, that's the ideal. That's what we're more moving toward. Mm. So the human-centric model moves toward how do we design organizations, societies around the highest human potential Mm-hmm. Instead of around efficiency, costs, and structures. Yeah? Right. That's the idea. So if you notice, you can talk to anyone on the bus, in the airplane, anyone you talk to, just random people you don't know, and you, 
costs come into a conversation like, oh, well, it's too expensive to do this. That's why the airline doesn't do it, for an example. Mm. Right. And, or it's too expensive to clean up or the earth or, you know, be <laughs> sensitive, right? So right. It's, we're, we're revolved around specific, you know, industrial ideas instead mm. of, well, it makes sense to protect the mother earth because we depend on her, yes. right? So it's values-based or what's, what's around the, the highest human potential when people are at their most effective, most human level, they respect mother earth as well. Yes, I, I yeah. think that makes sense. So if you get, a, if a client comes to you and wants to hire you, how do you go about learning about the company? Do you have a, a way typically that you do it or does it depend? Like, do you start with the leadership team? Do you have in, assessments you use? or the? Um, yeah, great question. It depends on the situation. So we'll have a discussion about what scope we want. Like, do, is, is it going to be a company-wide thing or is it going to buy a specific team or a specific functional group? So we'll, we'll scope it out, like how big is this going to be? And then we create a plan of action. It always involves intake, like an intake process of and understand where the people are, what are their challenges? What do they want to achieve? Um, what are the time pressures, if any? Of course, it has to do with budget as well. And so we take all these into consideration and we craft and design an approach that would be the most effective and the most quick and um, you know, beneficial for the people we're serving at that time. Okay. And do you, do, do you use any kind of tools like... Myers-Briggs or Enneagram or any of that stuff? Actually, actually, we use a tool that's called a change grid. It's an activities-based uh, assessment tool. Mm. And we use that to outline. So that, that's what makes this process even more customized because um, we look at what activities the people in the organizations want to achieve. For example, I want to become... Um, uh, skilled at leading people who are older than I am and younger than I am, like different generations, right? Mm -hmm. And so then we'll chart on that activity, how is someone doing? And then throughout the whole engagement, we will chart people, we'll t reassess to see the progress. And that's how we measure progress through specific activities. So if somebody says, okay, I'd love my team to be really good at dealing with conflict because we are a customer service group. Mm -hmm. Well, then we measure out different behavior you need, you know, to, to resolve conflict in different types of situations. And then we're going to chart people according to their skill, their comfort level, and their challenge. And then we'll say, oh, okay, everybody in this team is really weak at that. Or they perceive themselves to be like have one out of 12, for example, in mm -hmm. skill set. We're like, okay, well, that requires this, this training. Then we'll go and have that training. And then we'll say, okay, let's chart again. And then we assess again to see how things are moving. And we institute either training or coaching. Okay, so training is I need a new skill. I need to learn it. Coaching is to become masterful in it. Mm -hmm. So we use coaching and training to hone and help people become masterful in the activities they need to be successful. Have you had people at the end just 
express gratitude for something for this process where they oh absolutely may have I resisted mean, <laughs> in the beginning or something. I, I think people res- resist um, the challenges. The challenges are some people change faster than others. Yeah. So some people are like, I'm trying, I'm trying, but they keep using old habits. And then other people just zoom, you know, or like really easily shift assumptions. And so that's usually the contention. There's no one who says this doesn't work, this isn't good. You know, there's no one who disagrees with the premise and the goals. It's the process that's difficult. So some people excel faster or develop faster than others. And so you have people who may um, be in different even stages of their careers. Like, for example, if we were on a team and I kept considering myself an expert, well, experts know everything. Mm. So it's really hard for me then to look like a fool when I just made a mistake and say I'm sorry. Yeah. Right? So if I let go of that expert idea and just say I'm in a learning mode, I'm learning this just like everyone else, it doesn't mean I know I'm not really skilled in other things. Yeah. But it means like in this, in this skill... I'm a neophyte. I need to start over and over and over. And so we need, that's why we go to the assumption level because it's hard to ask someone who is an expert and believes experts know anything to learn. It's mutually exclusive. So we have to shift the definition of expert or Mm -hmm. shift the definition of learning. We have to do something to make that happen. And that's actually when we see everybody really embraces change. Mm. But we look like we're resistant because we have certain assumptions that we, we don't realize. And we're like, no, I have to keep that. That fills my need for significance. Experts are respected. Experts are admired. That's what I need. But if I fill my need for being respected and admired in other ways, I can be a learner and an expert at the same time, and that really facilitates change. So through this process, you won't believe how transformative it can become in a very short period of time. Mm. And it's because it's natural. We, We are humans. We're naturally are this way, but we've been socialized to use other models that um, were based in the industrial frame. Wow. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, so we have about two minutes left. And so I'd love you to just share maybe really quickly how you got into this field and, and, um, and why. Okay. Well, I, I had a lot of uh, wonderfully enriching and interesting business experiences around the world. Mm-hmm. And then I actually, I think the impetus was a life-changing accident. We were in Siberia visiting Aeroflot. We were in a car accident and, I, you know, I had pelvic fractures and that made me uh, kind of, I had a really long convalescence. Wow. And that made me have the time to stop and think about what I really wanted to do and how I wanted to more effectively use my time and effort. Uh, And so after that, I went through a process of thinking about, okay, what do I really care about and what do I feel I can contribute most to? mm -hmm. And it was really in the, in the realm of leading and how do we reframe leading across cultures Mm -hmm. to be able to make the change we claim we really want Instead of being stuck in the cycle of making behavioral change but ending up in the same place. Makes so that's sense. how I kind of transformed my life and uh, so much for the better. Yeah. All right. So in a, in a few seconds, how can people get in touch with you? 
Okay, leadersforgood.com with hyphens between the words or email me at EP for a Lenny Palace, EP at leadersforgood.com or call me in San Francisco at 415-987-8592. Oh, wow. This has been so much fun. <laughs> Eleni, thank you for being my guest today and I hope you'll come back and visit us again. Yes, thank you so much for having me, Olivia, and thank you so much for the fantastic interviews you, you do and share with us. They're really uh, excellent. Oh, thank you. That means a lot to me. So, everyone, for a full description of next week's and other upcoming shows, as well as all past shows and guest bios, please visit www.quantumbusinessinsights.com. I'm your host, Olivia Parud, saying thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights, and have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights. Please join your host, Olivia Parr-Rood, again next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 